Today on the show, strategy plus action equals building resiliency and what to do with it. Great coaches and consultants like you have the ability to change people's lives and transform entire organizations. And your impact can often go far beyond the clients you work with. One of the reasons I love working with coaches and consultants is because of that ripple effect. This show is here to highlight your expertise and empower you with resources and new ideas to grow your business. Welcome to Strategy in Action. Chad Foster is on the show today, and I wanted him here to talk about this idea of resiliency because he is absolutely not only the the epitome of being resilient, but that's what he specializes in, whether it's teaching a company, speaking on their stage, a workshop around it, consulting folks. In his book, Blind Ambition, he tells his story of resiliency and really gives us some some actionable steps to build that in our own lives. You see, Chad had a condition that was diagnosed about age three and by age 21, he was blind. And so he had to really come to a decision of whether or not to, to sit in the fact that, oh, I'm unlucky and this is horrible and why me, or do something with it. And he has continued to make that, that choice to this day, you know, 20 something years later. And it first started when he chose his career path and going on to Harvard Business School and then making an additional shift in realizing he had more of a story to tell, more than just being an example of success and inspiring people that way, but also being purposeful with it, writing a book, speaking on stages now, and teaching and guiding people how they can be more resilient in their life. We go through not only his story, but but how he's helping folks and some practical, tangible ways during this interview that we can apply this to our own lives because we we hear that a lot, you know, go be resilient. Sure, we don't we don't disagree that we should be, but why <laughs> exactly and in, in, in what way? And not just in, you know, when tremendous hardship falls on us, but even in little small ways that we need to kind of push ourselves and as Chad teaches, you know, to get out of our comfort zones a little bit at a time so that we can really progress and move forward in life. All right, a quick note here. Uh, For those watching especially, you're going to notice we lose Chad's video for like half the second half of the interview, um, the audio sounds different. So even for you podcast listeners, you're going to hear a little bit of a, a difference there, but we got the recording, which is great. We just had some issues that day. I, I think it's just a combo of a lot of stuff, just internet connectivity, you know, stuff that we deal with, but I was ecstatic that we do have the full interview. So you, if you're watching again, you'll see, you know, a, a still image of Chad come in for kind of the second half of the interview, but we've got the audio captured and I'm, I'm so glad we did. And I wanted to make sure we still pieced this together and got this out because Chad's story is so powerful, his message, uh, everything. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that we at least, you know, captured all of that. Uh, so just wanted to make a quick note of that as you notice that difference um, on the second half of this interview. All right, let's jump in. Chad Foster, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. 
Absolutely, man. This is this is gonna be gonna be awesome. I big shout out to Jurgen Strauss for the introduction, uh, as he is uh, great at doing in introing uh, amazing folks and uh, with his great show over there. And I, I'm just uh, been really impressed. So I'm glad he connected us. We got to jump in and connect last week. Yeah, exactly. Really enjoyed the conversation. Glad we could follow it up. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate you being on here. This is this is going to be great. We're our, our sort of main, you know, topic we want to dig into here and you know, really get into is is definitely your wheelhouse, right? We, this idea of resiliency. And I'm really excited to talk to you about this because it's it's what you train people on and you help people with in your keynote speaking and coaching, consulting. Like it's it's all in there so well and it's one of those things that nobody, you know, nobody disagrees. Nobody's like, nah, you don't need to be resilient, you know. <laughs> but I think it's one of those things that, you know, it can it, it it can get it can get vague really fast. And that's why I really want to have you on to really kind of hash out some of not only the the practical side of it. Okay, great. I believe in this idea. How do I do it? and become resilient, but also, okay, what do I do with it? You know, once I sort of develop that skill and, you know, so I'm, I'm excited to dig into to that topic with you, but I, I want folks to have, you know, the, this geography of, of your story a bit. And, you know, if they haven't read your fantastic book, your blind ambition book, um, n- not so shameless plug right there. I'll just do it for you right at the beginning. If just pause the recording, go to Amazon right now. <laughs> just just buy it. You're gonna want it by the end of this interview. So just go ahead and get it. Uh, but yeah, give us give us you know frame your story on on you know what what's led you to this point and you know really you know leaned into your own resiliency and on one hand being forced into that a bit, but also really making a choice to embrace it and thrive yeah you're spot on i didn't really have much of a choice in my situation i guess i could have rolled over and played dead you know as i went blind in college i went totally blind to college 21 years old and uh you know, i've been diagnosed when i was younger with an inherited retinal condition they told me at a young age that at some point i could go blind and start to imagine what my parents must have been thinking they were driving home from Duke University Medical Center when I was you know, almost four years old and they heard that their their toddler in the backseat at some point could go blind, you know, and those doctors had told them that they could they should put me in a special school for the blind, but instead they signed me in for soccer. So they didn't really wow. listen to everything <laughs> the doctors had to say. They wanted me to live as normal of a life while I could, but you know, they they um obviously were you know, alarmed with the news. And as I was growing up, I was learning the limitations of my eyesight and I would find out the limitations of my eyesight as I bounced off of things. So I ended up going to the hospital a lot, you know, I had a lot of injuries. In fact, I was there so much that they questioned both me and my parents in separate rooms to find out whether they were beating me or not. The, the truth is, you know, they, they weren't beating me no more than, than I needed, you know, and <laughs> You know that I um, I was learning limitations of missing, and you know whether it was you know dark or at dusk or whatever, I, I couldn't see that well, and so there were some limitations. And then 
as I got older, late high school, early college, my eyesight really began to fade even more. So uh, 21 years old, that was it. Like I realized I wasn't going to be able to see anymore. And that was a really tough time. You know, it was a really hard time for me because it it's not really what I aspired to. You know, everybody in college is trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. And, you know, none of them were raising their hands to be a blind guy, right? That was not what everybody really signed up for, not what people had hoped for. And so that was a really difficult time for me. But I guess the irony of all of that uh, is that today, you know, 26 years removed from that, I'm happier today and I'm more successful today than when I could see. And a lot of that is of the resilience and didn't really know a whole lot about resilience at that point in time. But now looking back, studying my own experiences, trying to figure out how did I get from that point of despair to this point of thriving where I'm at today? How did I get from there to here and navigate such dark time in life, both figuratively and metaphorically? You know, what allowed me to get from from um, that that valley, if you will, and uh, get over that hump? And a lot of that's what I talk about in Blind Ambition, the book, the keynote, and and the concepts are what I help people with with coaching. So that's just a little thumbnail. I don't know if you want to click into any of that, but just to give the listeners a little bit of context for what sort of resilience, uh, what sort of journey I've been on to cultivate that resilience. There's both positive and negative with the the slow transition to to this onset. You know, there's I imagine there's some, you know, mental dealing with it like along the way. Um but at the same time, it's there's dread in that as well, um, and it sounds like you know, in, in listening to, to 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 the podcast you did with with Jurgen, we were mentioning um, earlier the a Nova Buzz podcast. There, it sounded like you you had some some good guidance and words of wisdom from from your dad at different times, and um, you share some of that and that sort of help during that time and that, in that shift? Yeah, I got, I definitely got some, some straight talk, I guess you would say growing up because the natural human reaction, and this was true for me too, when it was drawn out over such a period of time, like you're talking about, you know, there's a lot of room for pity and sorrow and self-loathing. It's like, why me? You know, and that, that really did start to affect me. I started to feel bad for myself. None of my friends had to deal with the issues that I was dealing with. You know, they were off, you know, driving and, in you know, playing sports at night, which I wanted to do and, you know, living a, a quote unquote normal life. And here I was, I was dealing with this curveball and I felt like I was really this victim, this, this poor me mindset. And my dad definitely sat me down and gave me some straight talk. And he told me point blank, look, nobody really cares whether or not you can see, you can feel sorry for yourself all you want, but at the end of the day, you know, Nobody really cares. This is your your thing. You're going to have to deal with this. And you know what? He's right. One-on-one -on -one in a conversation, that's not to say that people don't care. You know, you talk to somebody one-on-one -on -one and you have a conversation. Sure, there's empathy. Sure, there's understanding. Sure, there's, you know, genuine human connection. But then when you walk off and they go do their thing and you go do your thing, hey, that's, you know, they're off in their world. They're living their life. And so it really was my my thing to deal with. And he told me that, and I didn't really want to hear that for a number of years. You know, my brother told me, 
you know, a time or two as well. My friends would, you know, they were, they were pretty understanding. But I remember one time when I was in college, I was feeling pretty bad for myself. At this point, I'm living in a, a house and my friends there, it was a little bit of a parking house, you know, people weren't really too interested in doing well academically. And I wasn't at the time interested in doing that well academically. I just realized I'm, I'm going blind and I'm feeling bad for myself. My cousin came in from Houston and he's an older cousin. He's you know, 26 years old at the time. A big guy. If you see him, you know what I'm talking about. He's like 6'4", 6'5", 260 pounds. And, you know, I'm I'm not that big. I'm maybe 6 feet, 190. So he's a pretty, pretty big guy. Had his stuff together, you know, was doing well professionally. Looks over at me. We'd gone to a football game at the University of Tennessee to watch you know, the Tennessee Volunteers play. Looks over at me and says, Chad, come on, let's go talk outside. So I go outside with Mark. We're sitting there in the parking lot, leaning up on a car. And he turns to me, point blank, says, you know, those, are your friends in there, all those guys? Yeah. Most of those guys will end up being losers. And if you keep hanging out with them, you're going to be a loser too. Wow. And man, that those words were sharp, right? They stung. Oh, yeah. It's like, I didn't want to hear it, but I needed to hear it. Um, I desperately needed to hear it. And so I don't want to sit here and tell you that that was like the instant push button fix that I needed. But those words echoed in my mind for years to come, up to this day, you know, and that was, shoot, that's been, you know, 20-something years ago. So sometimes, you know, we have to hear what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. And and a lot of times it matters who, who it's coming from, too. So hearing that from Mark, someone I really looked up to at that time, give me that straight talk that I needed, had a big impression on me and certainly helped to course correct me and put me on a better path. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think, you know, in the movies, it's, it's, it's one line, it's one conversation and everything changes. Right. But, but that's the, that's the real life version right there is that you get, you get these pieces and, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll keep getting them until you finally get it, <laughs> you know, and it, and it does, it, it makes a big difference who it comes from. You know, and I, you know, I like those words from your dad too, because it, it is like that. And I think, I, I don't know, I just think that's such a, such a better mindset with whatever we're dealing with. There's, there's the shoulds like, yeah, maybe the, the world, the entire world should change so that the, the way I want it to be is, is there, right? You can sit in that for your entire life and <laughs> and see about zero change <laughs> in the world or you can dig in and go like okay how do i operate in that and i think that's one of the that beginning phase of resiliency right like you're what you know i've heard you talk about is this idea that you know it's not we can't control everything that happens to us but we can control how we react to it and that's that's that first step and where did where did this kind of shift for you when you're like I here's something I've really developed this idea of resiliency and this is something that I can I can help people with. Yeah, that didn't develop for a while, honestly, because I never really saw myself as resilient at first. Yeah, I went blind in college, and yeah, I had to flush eighty five credit hours down the tubes and start all over, I had to relearn how to learn. I was a visual learner. 
which obviously wasn't very useful after I went blind. <laughs> so I literally had to relearn how to learn. And it turns out I was a better blind student than sighted student. I ended up, I made straight A's, uh, made the dean's list after I went blind. And so wow. didn't really see myself as all that resilient. You know, I just did what I had to do to get by, graduated, got a consulting job at one of the, the U.S. top consulting firms. Ended up, you know, moving up the, the corporate ladder. And it wasn't until I was a senior director for a company that does federal government IT mission services, um, all kinds of related services. And my job at the time, I was a senior director over pricing strategy and solutions there. And I'd done really well for that company. I'd brought in my decisions and strategies had generated you know, billions of dollars in revenue for the company. And my my former alma mater, the University of Tennessee, had uh, featured me as an, an accomplished alumni. And I, I'd called them. I wanted to get my mom some recognition. They ended up recognizing her, but also recognizing me too. And my, my manager there at this company, Joe Radioff, um, he's like, you know, Chad, you got a story here. Maybe you, know, you could do something with it. Let's see how we can help you with it. And I said, you know. Thought about it for a little while, and I'd done some of these classes, like the Dale Carnegie class, whatever. And I said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go a little bit on this. And so I said, Jerry, why don't you guys send me to Harvard? And he's, he's like, well, I don't, I don't know that I can guarantee that, but I can guarantee <laughs> I'll try. And so the next thing I know, he gets the CEO to sign off on sending me to Harvard. And so they they agree to stroke the check for me to go to Harvard, and I'm there um, studying. With you know all my my classmates there at Harvard Business School, and I was studying under Bill George, who is an executive fellow there. He's the former chairman and CEO of Medtronic, which is one of the world's largest medical supply companies. And he'd been there for a while, and he's talking about authentic leadership, and in particular, True North. How to discover your True North? That's Bill's leadership model, and the methodology revolves around how do you discover what your true north is, what what inspires you. And a lot of my classmates are looking around, they're trying to figure out what theirs is, and mine just kind of reached up and smacked me in the face. You know, I never really tried to do anything with my story at all. Never really saw my situation as all unique. I mean, it's not unique to me. It's my everyday reality, so it's not extraordinary. In fact, it's the very definition of ordinary because it's my story. And so I wasn't really looking at it from other people's point of view, but so for the first time, I started thinking about maybe I should do more with my story. And I had this premonition that I was going to be elected as the graduating speaker of my class. So before we even nominated or elected speakers, I sought out a keynote speaker, flew to Texas, pounded out a 12 to 15 minute talk with this guy on a consulting arrangement, flew back to Boston. And then it was there I was elected as our graduating speaker. Of course, you know, I was prepared. Wow. Because I had already written a talk for something I hadn't even been nominated for. That's awesome. And, you know, honestly, the results of that was really profound. It was profound for the audience. It was really profound for me because I, I didn't think, I honestly didn't know that I could help people as much as I can. And I saw that firsthand. One guy decided he was going to commission an opera based on what I said that night. Another guy, I'll never forget, he comes up to me afterward and 
you know, come to find out this particular gentleman had lost the daughter the year before to cancer. And something I said had helped. Now, I'm sure it didn't make his situation good, but something I said really helped. And I've always been kind of a tough-minded person based on my upbringing and the stuff that I've had to go through. But when you, you can have that kind of impact on somebody on that level who's going su through such unimaginable difficulty and, and uh, trauma and grief, like it just, it, it changes you, you know, and it, it changed me. And so I decided that I needed to really give this a little more weight, right? Look into this a little bit more. And so to, to work on creating a keynote speaking business. And then that eventually evolved into a book. So that became the book. And then um, most recently coaching, but all of that evolved from this idea of helping other people with the lessons that I've learned. And as Bill talks about, you know, when we can turn our crucibles into um, like the opportunity to help other people, right? How can I use what I've learned through my struggle and use it to help other people? A funny thing happens. It, it gives new value to it. It breathes new life into it. It, it kind of makes going blind worth it, which is kind of a weird thing to say out loud and, and a thought to have. It's really bizarre because, you know, check it out. I mean, I'm never going to see my wife. I'll never see my kids. But honestly, by helping people with what I've learned, it makes that kind of worth it, which is which is really unusual because all of a sudden, you know, these people don't have to go through what I've been through to learn what I've learned. And so it's, it's now become a big part of my purpose, my true North to help people with what I've learned because it's just so fulfilling. Having, having other folks pointed out to us and reflecting back both, it really takes that for us to let in the fact that, Oh, you know what? Maybe, maybe my story is, something that can help. Maybe it is something powerful or there's, there's some skill set. And on an everyday level, I think, you know, as, as coaches and consultants, even who have, who have chosen the path of helping folks, even then it's still, it's, it's hard to realize that it's, just, it's not just our everyday life. Like everyone's not just going through whatever you're going through, you know, even if you know it logically, you don't easily kind of put it, yeah, you don't easily like put it into that category of like, oh, this, this is something here, you know? Um, and I think that's, you know, that it, it, it's, it's a different tangent a little bit, but it's such a powerful point to, to be reminded of this idea that we all have something to give, right? To bigger or lesser degrees. And it doesn't mean we have to go off and, you know, be a speaker or, or coach or consult or anything like that. Could, you know, we could still have a full-time job and, you know, helping people in different ways, but it's such a great reminder that we have these unique gifts. And it, you know, it comes down to, again, what I've, what I've heard you talk about is, you know, that, that idea of choice and how you choose to take what's handed to you. And man, it, it really is, it's powerful because, you know, we, we get into, okay, what is, what does this mean? And, and I think that's a different kind of spiral that you can go down 
that some people can get lost in. What does this mean? Is I guess from the side of like bigger picture, someone else is designing this. What does this mean that I'm going through this? But I think a more practical version, what I think you've done in it is, is well, what am I going to make it mean? Right? Like it's up to me. Like maybe there's some force that I don't know about that's making all this happen, but what am I going to do in my life to move me forward and be productive in this? And it, it, it seems like you've, you've embraced that side of it on that proactive side. Yeah, it boils down to the question, why me? And I think anytime we have something terrible happen to us, we all we all ask that question, why me? But when we first ask that question, most of us ask that question with the tone of the victim. Why'd this yeah. happen to me? And of all people, why did this happen to me? And until we shift the tone, we can ask the same question. It's fine to ask the question, why me? But when we have the tone of a victim, we're never really looking for an answer. And we're not going to find the answer. We have to shift the intention behind the question so that the tone takes on a curious nature. Why did this happen to me? Hmm. I wonder why this happened to me. Maybe this happened to me. Maybe I went blind because I'm one of the few people on the planet who has the strength and the toughness to overcome it and maybe I could use it to help other people. Now, that's one story that I could tell myself about my blindness. Another story is I went blind because I got really bad luck, right? One story paints me as the victim, and the other story is the Jedi mind trick that transforms my disability into my strength. Oh, yeah. I choose to tell myself a better story about my circumstances because I have the flexibility, the, uh, I have the agency in the situation to determine the meaning I want to attach to my circumstances. That I have. I could choose to sit around and tell myself these negative stories about my circumstances, or I could choose to attach meaning to these circumstances that instead of keeping me trapped like a victim, actually power me forward. And give my my circumstances new meaning. It's you know, it's like now I think of the blindness as this beautiful gift that came disguised in some really ugly wrapping paper. Yeah. And I think all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have these opportunities. There are these gifts that we have, these beautiful gifts all around us disguised in really ugly wrapping paper. If we could only figure out how to how to receive them and open them up and share them with people. But it's hard. You know, it's, it's really hard to have that curiosity and shift that mindset and the tone from being the victim to having that curiosity. It, 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 takes, it takes a lot of, um, takes a lot of acceptance with the situation, right? You have to really accept that, okay, look, I'm going to be blind. Like I'm, I'm 21 years old. I know that for the rest of my life, according to these doctors, I'm never going to be able to see again. I could sit around and feel sorry for myself for the rest of my life. Assuming I lived to 70-something years old, that's like 50 years of feeling sorry for myself. That's, that's a lot of sorry. You know, I can't do that. That's way too much sorry. So what am I going to do instead, right? Am I, gonna, I can't sit around and feel sorry for the next 50-something years. So let me figure out a different path. 
okay, I look good. Let's talk about that. How can I make it look good for me? And I know this sounds a little paradoxical, and it's meant to be a little tongue-in-cheek, but if you can't ever figure out how to make your adverse circumstances work for you instead of against you, how could you ever be expected to move towards acceptance? You know, I moved towards acceptance with my blindness because I could visualize how I can make it look good. I could visualize how I can make it work for me instead of against me. I knew that, you know, I could be a role model for people if I did well in the business world. And then that evolved. I knew that, okay, well, maybe I could also go beyond that and help people with the lessons I've learned through speaking and coaching and as an author. And all those things help give me this inspiring vision for myself that take my unpalatable circumstances and kind of flip them into something that I can get behind, something that, that gives me a purpose and a mission and that inspiration to get up and, and keep keep pushing. And, you know, that sort of gets into, you know, one of the things that I think has, has really helped me is my ability to take action. And um, I think it's easy to sit around and talk about it, but, you know, people who end up getting what they want out of life aren't afraid of the work that it takes to get there and taking those and really bite-sized steps. While we need a, you know, a bold vision of greatness that's inspiring and motivates us to take action, we have to take on actions in a, in a mental way. Otherwise, it can be a bit overwhelming. So let's, it's figuring out how we, how we create an action plan that breaks down our vision into a step so that we can you know, progress, demonstrate to ourselves that we can achieve whatever it is that we need to achieve and create habits that sustain us throughout that, that the the basket of actions that we want to take to get to our, our bold vision of greatness. So it, it really boils down to, you know, the right mindset, but then obviously having the actions that go behind it, the effort and the resilience obviously fundamentally gets back to the stories that we tell ourselves about the stories in, how can we make them look good? Um, having the wherewithal to make the choice of how we're going to respond to certain circumstances, not being, a victim of the circumstances and, and really figuring out how we can, you know, in essence, take advantage of our disadvantages. How can you, how can you make your situation work for you instead of against yeah. you? Would you say that's, that's kind of that first big step towards, you know, somebody going cool. Like, how do I actually build this? And, and especially when it comes to these seemingly, smaller things in life, the, the, the small little beat downs that we allow in maybe, you know, the, 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 the little thing here and the decision here to go, uh, okay, well, I guess I just have to deal with that. Oh, I guess I just have to, this little thing that happens at work, this little thing that happens at home and build up that resiliency. How do, how do we first kind of develop this muscle at the very beginning how do you how do you start people off with that i think it starts with getting comfortable with discomfort i think you have to be if you're the kind of person who always likes to feel comfortable the first place i would start is getting uncomfortable and i don't mean like profoundly uncomfortable at first i mean get a little outside of your comfort zone and keep going outside of your comfort zone. And the more you get outside of your comfort zone, 
I was just going to say, like, 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 give us an example of that. Like, what does that, what, what could that mean for someone to, to kind of look at that and go, okay, instead of just sitting on the couch tonight, you know, I'm going to do something that I've been kind of, I've been putting off or something. What's, what are those like, practical ideas for that? Well, practical idea could be, you know, inviting somebody at, like an executive at work out for coffee or for lunch, um, making a new, you know, professional relationship like that. For for me, you know, one of the things that I talk about that helps, I mean, I've, I kind of crave discomfort now. So at the tender young age of almost 46 years old, I decided <laughs> to take up Brazilian jiu-jitsu as a grappler, a blind guy. Like, hey, you know what? Let's go. And, and uh, see how uncomfortable I can be when a black belt puts me in this inescapable chokehold. But I'm, you know, I'm, I've, I've been living outside of my comfort zone for a very, very long time. So, you know, for me, that's that's an area that I explore now. Skiing is another way that I like to get outside of my comfort zone. Um, I started wow. skiing at 38 years old, and I just really enjoy you know, the way I can, I can challenge myself and totally blind skier started skiing at 38. Now I ski black, double black diamonds. Obviously I didn't start on a double black or a black. I started off with the bunny slopes and the magic car and all that. And after falling hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, I'm actually wow. a, a very good skier, but it's, it's the idea of, and, and there are all kinds of examples. You don't have to, you don't have to ski or, or fight people in a martial art. But whatever you do, maybe it's getting up and giving a presentation. You know, maybe it's speaking. Maybe it's, you know, whatever your fear is, whatever your anxiety is, move towards it. Um, and I know that sounds that sounds scary, but one thing that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has taught me better than any other sport, martial art, activity that I can think of is that the more you move towards the fear the less fearful it becomes. And I'll give you an example. When I first started rolling, that's the term for sparring in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. The first time me in this chokehold and I knew there was no way out, well, what happened? Well, I got really scared. Adrenaline took over. My heart rate went through the roof, uh, sort of breathing heavy. I'm trying to use all my adrenaline to fight my way out of it. It's very seldom successful, right, when you do that. And it's just, it's the terror of the situation takes over. But the more I trained, instead of having all the terror take over, I learned to settle into the terror. I learned when somebody gets me in one of those chokeholds, instead of panicking, I bring my heart rate down. I start looking for a natural I sit there calmly and quietly looking for a way out. You know what? A lot of times I actually find a way out when I can maintain control. And how helpful yeah. would that be in our daily lives? You know, it doesn't have to be a Brazilian jiu-jitsu match. What if when you had a scary personal issue or a stressful work issue, instead of hitting the panic button, what if you could just instinctively like settle into the fear and bring your heart rate down and start looking for a way out. And so I found that the more we move towards the fear, our comfort zone expands. You know, the, the less fearful it is, the more accustomed we get to that. So I think 
for me, that's one of the, the key things that I believe has helped me in my journey is just being able to get really comfortable with the feeling of being uncomfortable. Because I think ultimately, if, if people are living in their comfort, if people are living in their comfort zones, that, that's where complacency is, right? Life and growth happen outside of our comfort zone. Oh, yeah. And I love this this idea, this nuance in it, too, of this idea of preparing to be resilient, right? Like, you, everything may be hunky-dory, you know, for you right now. But to build that muscle like you just described, yeah, I mean, who doesn't want that person in the boardroom in a crisis situation who can stop everything in the middle of chaos, take a breath, <laughs> and calmly find the direction to, to take a step forward instead of just, you know, losing their head and, and spinning out of control. And that's... That's really powerful. And that's a that's an idea about this concept of resiliency that I really hadn't thought about before of not just getting through something you're currently in, but how do you how do you prepare that, you know, that muscle for, for when the time comes? Yeah. And it, it can be trained. It absolutely can be trained. Um I think it just it, and you you know, every person has to start with an area that fits them it should it shouldn't be comfortable though that's kind of the point but it should be it should be uncomfortable something that they do may three that they're interested in doing but the consequences shouldn't be you know too far out right you don't want to go with high risk consequences at first the point here is not to go out and demonstrate that you're capable of these big crazy ideas the point here is to demonstrate incrementally to yourself, to your brain, to your being, that you can get some small wins in this thing. And and these small wins start to add up. And you start to crave the feeling of discomfort. And you start to enjoy it because you're expanding and you're stepping into a deeper self and you're growing and you're moving towards a goal. And I think that's very empowering and, and making sure like you know, for example, I didn't start off on a black diamond, right? If I'd started off on a black diamond the first time I skied, I probably wouldn't have lived. I started off where the consequences were very limited, right? I was on a bunny slope or a green or a carpet ride or whatever you want to call it. So if I fell, I wouldn't get that hurt. And so I kept working on that skill until I graduated enough to move up the next range of, of terrain. And so that's true whether it's, you know, it's a new skill you're trying to work on, whether it's in or, you know, taking, you know, building a relationship at work or whatever it is, right? You want to start in a way that's incremental, that is uncomfortable, but not crazy consequences, right? You don't want to, you don't want to put yourself out there so much that the repercussions far outweigh the benefit. Oh yeah. And that's a good place to start too, is, you know, if, if you want to take action on this stuff that we're talking about, it's, it's, it's find those areas that you've, you've been curious about because so many of us have that, right? We have that little, little scratch that, you know, oh, I should, I should be doing that. It's, it is a little scary, but it's, it's also, it also lights you up, you know, and, and those can go hand in hand yeah. <laughs> you know like you just know there's something to this i don't know what i don't know why i'm fascinating with this one thing 
But when you lean into that and start taking steps towards it, it, it is, it's amazing how quickly you can look up and, oh my gosh, look, look what I've accomplished. And now when the big thing comes, you're ready for it and you're, you're thriving in it, you know? Yeah, it actually gets a little addictive, truthfully. I mean, <laughs> like the, the the discomfort, right? It it becomes a little addictive. Like wow. Like I'm to the point now where I just I I love the discomfort. I think that's how I ended up in Brazilian dude, because it there are plenty of opportunities to be uncomfortable there. Oh yeah. I, I, I'd love to wrap up here with with how you're you're going into organizations when you when you speak um and, and, and train and stand on stage and, and, and help people through this stuff. What, what are you doing right now? Cause I know a big one is resiliency. What are you, what are you helping companies with, um, in your keynote speaking? Yeah, I help leaders, organizations, teams learn how to break free from the circumstances that are preventing them from reaching their full potential. And so a lot of people, can tend to get defined by their circumstances and not really understand how they can break free from those circumstances so that they can be in control of their own destiny. They don't have to let their circumstances define their outcomes in life. And so that's a lot of what I talk about when I go in and address an organization or a team or a leadership team, sales team, whatever the case may be, really help them understand how to thrive in change, how to deal with transformation and disruption in a way that not only allows them to survive, but even bounce back better than before, be better off because of the change, not in spite of the change. No, oh, that's great. And something, a, a nuance with, with, with what you do as well, which I found interesting, I heard you talking about was not just, you know, someone brings you in to speak, you go in, you speak, you do your thing, but there was, there's actually some, seems like in your process, you're, you're actually, you're doing more than that as a speaker, like you're guiding, you know, whoever brings you in, there's, there's a little bit of back and forth of, Hey, let's, let's talk about, yes, I understand what you need and what you want from a speaker. How do we make this better? And you actually will kind of guide them through that, that process to make the whole event a little bit bit better. Yeah, it, it depends on what the themes are and what the challenges facing the organization are. So I have a lot of content, a lot of thoughts on a program, whether that's my standard, you know, entry point for an organization, which is my blind ambition program. It's all about resilience. It's how to go from victim to visionary. Um, or whether it's a diversity program or a resilience workshop, whatever the case may be. But I'll talk with the event planners and leaders to understand what are the significant challenges facing people in the audience, the organization? What have they tried? What are successful people doing well and others not doing? What are the themes of the event? And then I'll take all that and then customize a program so that we can help them achieve the outcomes that they want based on their unique basket of circumstances. And so that the message of resilience in this case can have its intended impact, but obviously tailored to the audience and the organization. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah, I love that. I don't hear that. I don't hear that too much either of, I don't know, that, that ownership and that like, hey, let's, let's make this bigger and better than you, you ever thought it would be <laughs> by bringing in a speaker. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people, honestly, you said this at the beginning, a lot of people talk about resilience 
I don't think they really talk about how to be more resilient, you know? And so because I've lived it, I think I can really click down into tangible steps that, that people can take, um, whether that's you know telling yourself better stories or visualizing your greatness or leaning into the discomfort or taking advantage of your disadvantages and you know the power of choice really being able to anchor yourself in gratitude it's really important you know there's so many things that people can do to cultivate that resilience and i just i feel you know i feel really passionate about this because obviously without it i wouldn't be where i'm at in my life just being able to pass it on to other people other organizations and leaders is really uh, really rewarding for me i don't i don't do this like a lot of speakers you know, it's, it's their job and that's what they do. For me, I don't even really consider it a job. It's just, I think it's the reason that I'm on the planet. I think it's the reason that I went blind, which obviously I'm deeply passionate about it because of that. It's just, I'm connected to it. It's such a, such a deep issue, excuse me, such a deep level that um, it's, it's more than just the job for me. It's more than just a project. Oh yeah. I can imagine. And it comes through, you know, um, and, and, and the content you have in there and, and having conversations with you, it definitely, definitely comes through. Let people know how to, how to find your book, how to bring you on as a speaker. What's the best way to, for people to start connecting and who should connect with you? Well, I guess anybody who is interested in having a keynote speaker come in and talk about either change or disruption or transformation, um, accountability, leadership. Um, maybe there's a sales conference, um, all industries really I do a lot in, in technology. Obviously I've been in technology myself, my whole career, healthcare, financial services, manufacturing, education, pretty much all sectors. But I think, you know, what people can do either from a, from a keynote standpoint, yeah, they can go to my website, chadefoster.com. And from there I have a speaking section, there's a coaching section of the of the website. There's a book section as well. My book, Blind Ambition, can be bought anywhere books are sold. Essentially, there's an Audible version. There's a Kindle version. It's on Amazon. It's at Barnes & Noble. It's at Books A Million. It's wherever people buy books. And so the book is there. And then, uh, yeah, they can just reach me at my website at www.chadefoster.com. And from there, they'll see all my social media handles. And I'm, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, etc. Perfect, man! Thank you so much for being on and, and, and sharing this. I, I love that that we were able to kind of dig in and and kind of bring bring this idea idea of resiliency um, into a little bit more tangible space and give people some ideas of what to do with it. Yeah, me too. I enjoyed it, man. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yes, indeed. And we'll see you all next time. Thanks so much for tuning in and being a part of this show. If you want help creating authority building video content or even a client generating show of your own, go to medialeadsco.com and let's connect. I'll talk to you soon on the next Strategy in Action. This show is powered by Media Leads. To get your next great podcast produced, go to medialeadsco.com.